Hello, and welcome to a spooky edition of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm scared already. What's your name, sir? Daniel. I'm his wife, Melissa. Yes, in you case, are. In case you didn't know, we are married. I wouldn't say happily, but we're married. We are scared <laughs> together. <laughs> this is our first kind of spooky episode of the season and probably our only one. We'll never do this again. No, probably not. This might be horrible. So let's see. Most likely. Those of you who have been listening to us for a while, you might know our love as a couple for New Orleans, especially the French Quarter. Yeah. So I have a lot of family. Uh, my mom was born and raised there. So I have a lot of history there. And then I drug her butt there <laughs> when we got hitched. So she liked it. And we convinced a bunch of other weird people to show up for that. So that was cool. And uh, yeah, so there you go. It's a lot of fun. We eloped. And then we actually had a wedding in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Don't tell them that. People don't know that. That's a secret. Don't That okay. we eloped? You guys listening, don't tell anyone. Yeah, please don't tell anyone that we had eloped six months before our wedding. Most people know that. We've probably been to New Orleans about 10 times as a couple, right? Yeah, maybe. We, Close. We celebrated a lot of milestones out there. Yeah. We went to Mardi Gras. One of the first times we ever traveled together, we went to Mardi Gras. Yeah, lost our virginity there. Um, yeah, so no, it has a lot of fond memories for us, oh I think. Um, I enjoyed it, yeah. <laughs> I celebrated Mardi my Gras. 30th birthday out there. Yeah, We see? got married there. Yeah. We've taken one of our kids there. So there's a lot of memories within New Orleans. The one thing that we do every time we go is we go on a haunted history tour. It is fun. It, it I'm serious. I'm I'm not I usually I'm not serious, but I am serious about that. I enjoy it. It's cool even though I've heard all the stupid stories and they're all fake. <laughs> no, they're not. Um it's still enjoyable and usually the people that are leading the little thing and the wandering around the place, they do a very good job. They do and they love their job and they love telling us these stories that we've heard 10 times. But it's great. So I was going to share some of those stories with all of you. And most of the time when you go on those tours, you drink either Heavily. before, during or after. It's usually a hurricane. And I think the tour leader guide person is also just hammered. Hopefully. So if you guys want to pause the podcast real quick and go drink. And then come back and listen to us. <laughs> I promise these stories will be better. Or just keep drinking until you enjoy us is really what I'm saying. Probably. Okay. So what are our favorite things to drink out there? Not a hurricane. Don't drink a hurricane. You're oh, going to be God. effed up. No, they're just, it's cheap alcohol, usually unless you pay for a really good one at a nice bar. But people don't drink them right. They end up mixing the top and the bottom which gets you belligerently intoxicated. It's a layered alcoholic drink that's not mixed. So Don't if, mix it. Yeah, So and you have to drink it with a straw. So you have to drink it very specifically. Or if you're on the West Coast, you drink it pacifically. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so don't you're do awful. it. A good friend of mine did. He mixed it up, drank it, and he was sick for like 
two and three quarter days. It's because we forgot to tell him. What's the purple drink called? Purple drink? No, what's the purple drink called? I don't know. Damn it. Something. Really? It's called a... It's like the purple haze. No. Purple drink. There's another drink that's purple. No, It's blended. It tastes like a popsicle, a grape popsicle. Mixed, oh, my gosh. It, I can't remember it. It's a grape popsicle mixed with mouthwash. That's what it tastes <laughs> like. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. I also like to drink Bloody Marys, but only in New Orleans. They do not taste good anywhere else except for New Orleans. And that's usually lunch, honestly. Yeah, because there's so much food inside the drink. All right. You ready to get started? I'm ready. I wish I knew the name of that purple drink because now I feel dumb. Sorry, everyone who's screaming. When we go to New Orleans, we seem to always do some sort of haunted history tour of the quarter. Maybe a cemetery tour. We've done garden district tours. We've also done those on our own. There's some apps that you can download and they take you around the garden district. But I bought this book called New Orleans Ghosts and Vampires by Kalila Katharina Smith. Maybe like 15 years ago. Okay. Do you remember when I bought this book? Vaguely. I mean, you pick stuff up. I do. <laughs> from time to time and from place to place. I thought I'd read a couple of the ghost stories featured in this book. Fun. Now, the first tale is that of the legend of Julie. In the 17 and 1800s, the French aristocratic gentlemen, if you can call them that, of New Orleans shared in a custom called placage. Or placage. I think it's placage. No, I looked it up. (laughs) I might be saying it wrong. I'm sorry, but I looked it up. Which meant they would take a woman of color as their mistress. Sure, sure. After choosing their mistress, the man would have to provide this woman with housing and take care of her and any children they might have together. The children born of this relationship would also carry their father's name and could have a right to their airship. Really? Yeah. Julie was a mistress and lived with her lover at 732 Royal Street in the French Quarter. Julie had everything her heart could desire, the finest clothes and servants who would wait on her, prepare her meals, and even draw Julie a bath. But Julie could not have the one thing that she desired most in the world to be her lover's wife. Even though having a mistress was encouraged, it was forbidden by law to marry a woman of color. Julie's lover knew that he could never marry her even though he was madly in love with Julie. He knew his family would disown him and his business associates might refuse to do business with him. He would be shunned by society. But he could have her as a piece on the side. That's okay, what I so, don't understand. Yeah. So let me get this straight. Okay. Society encouraged and acknowledged a white dude yeah. married has a black woman as a mistress on the side and could even have kids with her. Who could have his last name. And have his last name. That's okay. That was fine. But if he got, but he can't marry her. But he couldn't marry her. Or he would be shunned from society. Right. Okay, no, that makes sense. No, I got it. <laughs> so ridiculous. Well, hold on now. Let me let me go further. Okay. 
she was sad because she couldn't actually be his wife. She wanted to marry him. But doesn't that mean that then if she was his wife, he would then take mistresses on the side alongside her? Well, back in the day, it's not like you married for love. You married for wealth and property and the family name. Okay, so is he having adult aerobics with his wife and he has kids with her? I don't know. And then he takes this mistress on the side and then has children with her too? That seems very complicated. It's extremely complicated. Would you be okay with me having a mistress on the side? Mm, Probably not. Not right now. What if it's not on the side, but it's like in the back? <laughs> okay, let's just continue on because oh I we, we'll we'll agree to disagree, I guess. Oh well, Julie would not give up. She wanted to defy the city's law. Julie fought and begged for her lover to marry her for months. The constant bickering was taking a toll on the relationship that was once filled with so much love and admiration. One night. After months of arguing over the issue, Julie's lover came home and offered her an ultimatum, something so ridiculous she surely would never go for it. It was an extremely cold and rainy December evening. Julie's lover said that if she would do this one thing for him and prove her love, then he would make her his bride in the morning. He told Julie that if she went up on the roof naked, and stayed up there all night, he would marry her. Before responding to her lover's request, there was a knock on the front door. It was a few of the man's business associates. While Julie got undressed and headed up to the third floor, her lover began to entertain his guests on the second floor. The men began to drink, smoke cigars, discuss some business, and played chess all through the night, losing track of time. As the sun began to rise over the French Quarter, he escorted the men to their waiting carriages and bid them goodnight. He then made his way up to the third floor to be with his love, only she wasn't there. As he entered the bedroom, he noticed that Julie was not in their bed, and he felt an icy breeze coming down from the attic stairs. As he ran up those stairs to an open attic window, he was struck with an overwhelming feeling of dread. Once on the icy slate roof, he began frantically searching for his love. Huddled next to the chimney was the cold and dead body of poor Julie. Okay, wait. (laughs) What? You know how you wanted to do like a, um, a, a vow renewal? Yeah. If you get up on our roof naked, (laughs) um... I think I'll I'll marry you again. It doesn't get that cold here in Bakersfield. No, but the neighbors might complain. Oh, they would most definitely complain, especially their small so, children. Okay, so she's up there freezing her butt off, her buns off. It's not like she's locked out of the house on the roof. She could have just climbed back through the open window. I think Julie was stubborn and, and hypothermia f- sets in oh. and it's different yeah but that path to hypothermia is very uncomfortable so there's that point to where you're very uncomfortable to where you're numb and that's very hard to control especially if you have a way out yeah she went up on the roof and didn't crawl back inside the house that's sad i know i guess she really wanted to prove it she did 
She wanted to be his wife, according to the legend. The ghost of Julie is considered the most predictable ghost in the city. It is guaranteed that she will make an appearance on the coldest night in December, completely nude. Still believing that she will be a bride in the morning, but once the sun rises, she fades into the roof once more. At the writing of this book, the bottom floor of the house on Royal Street was the bottom of the cup tea room. The staff of the tea room said that Julie is extremely predictable. Julie is guaranteed to make an appearance whenever her name is mentioned, making Julie a legend. And she loves the attention. Some people have seen the edge of a skirt whip around the corner, and one employee saw the face of Julie as he gazed out to the courtyard pond. She's made her presence known by running her hand across someone's back or lightly touching their neck. She's made water boil in a glass, made the skirt of an employee rustle around like it was dancing. Julie is also known to throw temper tantrums by throwing a box of paper clips across the room and turning on the intercom system in the tea room so patrons could hear the employees talking in the back. I hope they weren't talking crap about the people they were serving. (laughs) She is a little something. She knows what she's doing. Julie also had a ghost cat with her as a companion. Like the cat died up on the roof with her? No, it's just a cat that she's kind of inherited. It's a ghost cat. But the cat's dead? Yes, it's a ghost. Okay. Psychics have been invited into the business, and their readings report that Julie's lover was much older than her and possibly abusive. She also might have been pregnant at the time of her death. Now, these are what the psychics are getting from their readings. Sure. Julie and her cat have been photographed many times, but it is said that she actually does not wish to have her picture taken. At least that's what she's told people. That's in the psychic realm. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So that's the story of poor Julie. And we have been told that story once or twice on ghost tours. So we have seen the chimney and the... The roof. I think it's just a way to get guys to show up to the French Quarter when it's cold in December. <laughs> so they can see a naked They're woman like, hey, on the Just roof. so you know, like, why would I want to visit in December? Well. It's beautiful in December. D- December is the best time to go. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because you'll probably see <laughs> a naked woman up on a roof. I'm in. <laughs> Count me in. Let's go. You'll definitely see a naked woman come. Depends. Naked. Yeah. March. April-ish. During Mardi Gras season, you'll definitely see some nakedness you probably don't want to see. Right. Yeah. You'll see it whether you want to or not. And it's probably not. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best time. If you've ever wanted to go to Mardi Gras, it's really fun. It's not that bad. I would go (laughs) before Fat Tuesday, like before everything really happens. Yeah, but to really get a feel for what it's like, you should go down Bourbon Street on Fat Tuesday. Oh, it's wild. It's it's wild. Yeah. There's a <laughs> lot of airbrushed um, boobies, boobs swinging. <laughs> we'll just say that. All, oh, God. Everywhere. If a girl removes her clothes on Bourbon Street, no big deal. 
Because there's mil- there's tons of cops. The second a dude drops his pants, it's like a football tackle and he goes to jail. Yeah. It's really funny. I saw some weenuses oh, for a they, split second and then they're oh tackled by Oh my gosh. People. Yeah, they will beat yeah. you down. But girls can walk around girls without bottoms and bottoms, it's okay. Tops, it doesn't matter. They'd be like, woohoo. Yeah. It's wild, people. Yep, it's the way it should be. So it's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Pirate's Alley. Let's. Can you picture that in your head? You know just where this is. Yeah. So we've been on a tour where someone has claimed to feel someone touching them on Pirate's Alley. It was me. <laughs> and you were the one complaining. <laughs> Pirate's Alley is located right next to St. Louis Cathedral. It was in this alley that pirates and privateers such as Jean Lafitte sold their goods. Like, oh, Jean, Jean Lafitte. <laughs> no, he sold like guns and liquor and women and slaves. Oh, gosh. It's like so, a Walmart. Ugh, awful. You can get everything there. Now, a pirate worked for himself while a pirateer worked for a government. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. only one was socially acceptable. Behind the beautiful cathedral is a site where the Frenchmen would duel with swords. The duels were usually fought till one man drew blood and restored their honor. In extreme instances, these duels would be fought to the death. Now, in the early morning hours, you can still hear the sounds of swords clashing together. Many people have seen a man in a dark jacket running down the alley with a sword raised above his head and then disappearing at the end of the alley. I'm, I'm picturing that and kind of laughing like a guy like, mm-hmm. ah! I would just do that anyway. <laughs> no. There is a scene in the movie, Interview with the Vampire, where Louis, Brad Pitt's character, actually walks down the famous alley. Oh. If you've ever seen that movie, which is a great movie, actually. And a lot of the movie takes place in New Orleans because we have Anne Rice who wrote it. We've stalked her home before. Speaking of Jean Lafitte, let's talk about Lafitte's blacksmith shop bar on the corner of Bourbon Street and St. Philip Street. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. It is. I'm sorry. I keep asking you if you know what I'm talking about. I just need need you to tell me you know where you are right now. Yes, I know. Okay. Picture it. It is the oldest working bar in the country and the second oldest building in New Orleans, most likely constructed in the 1770s during the Spanish colonial period. It is believed to have been used by Jean Lafitte as his New Orleans base for his smuggling operation. Jean Lafitte has been described throughout history as a privateer, a diplomat, and entrepreneur and a hero of the Battle of New Orleans in 1812, aiding General Andrew Jackson in defending the city of New Orleans from the British. The bar is considered to be one of the most haunted in the world. Ghosts of soldiers and pirates are seen walking about the building in the middle of the night, as well as a woman dressed in all black. She has been seen in the bar late at night in the upstairs office. She's only been seen maybe a handful of times, but she does like to whisper your name in your ear when you are all alone. See, when I do that to you, you get mad. (laughs) Because I'm usually sleeping. Yeah. 
Well, the, and because it's not your name. The, oh, the woman in black is believed to have killed herself upstairs in the 1890s. Phantom red piercing eyes can be seen in dark corners of the candlelit only bar. Once the eyes freeze on you, they slowly disappear. There is a ghost who is believed to be that of Jean Lafitte, and he's been seen quite regularly. He is dressed in sailor gear and stands in corners just staring, usually near the first floor fireplace. Once he is spotted, Jean disappears. I do remember being told that if you were to use the restroom to take a picture of yourself in the bathroom mirror, you might see a face staring back at you. That's that, not yours. That's just a creeper snuck in with you to get a peek. <laughs> I think I've taken my picture in that mirror multiple times and I've never seen anything. Yeah. Over the last decade, we've chosen to stay at a hotel that's kind of down the way from Bourbon Street. It's like one street down from Bourbon Street. It's like half a block. Okay, half a block. It's like 300 feet. And it's called the Prince Conti Hotel. It's very cute. It's very fun. It's really just a place to sleep. And I recommend it. Don't you? Yeah. I like if it. anyone's going to go. Yeah, they're pretty good. Go stay there. That property was once a coffin factory. I could see that. Uh-huh. Yeah. After that, for over 50 years, it was used as a public bathhouse. Oh, goodness. There is said to be ghostly activity in the bar area, especially in the kitchen. The dishwasher, to be exact. They say it has a mind of its own. There is an active haunting in the actual hotel, and it is believed to be the ghost of a Storyville madam who died in one of the rooms. I wonder if you can request that room. Or if they have it blocked. Yeah, there wasn't a name of the room. There wasn't a number to go along with the room. So I don't know. They're really nice rooms. I can't say enough about them. Yep. It's a little bit less pricey than the other hotels in that area. It's right in the middle of the French Quarter. So you yeah. can walk anywhere you want from there. Now to the creme de la creme of French Quarter lore. The Manchon of Delphine Larrerie. Did I say that right? Daphne? Delphine. D Delphine. <laughs> no, Larrerie. 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 Sure. Are you supposed to roll the R? Isn't that how your mom says if it? If you want to. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to say Delphine Larrerie. <laughs> In 1834. A crime was committed that shook the city to its core. Mm -hmm. The Lalaurie. Now I'm going to say it weird. <laughs> Shut up. How do you say it again? Lalaurie Mansion. <laughs> no, it's Lalaurie. Lalaurie. L A L A U R I E. The Lalaurie Mansion is located on the corner of Royal and Governor Nichols Street. An unassuming large gray building. These are very grand street names, by the way. They are. They're supposed like, to be. Where is your Where is your overpriced flooded out house at in New Orleans? Oh, it's on Royal and Governor Nichols Street. Why did you say flooded out? Well, it's below water level. Oh, okay. I wasn't. I don't know. Didn't know if you're making potentially flood. It could potentially flood. I if didn't the, know if you're making a Hurricane Katrina. If the pumps fail. Ugh. You know, other than that, it's so fine. So sad, you guys. No, it's fine. 
Now, this large gray building has one bricked up window on the third floor, which we have a million pictures of. Yeah. I say unassuming because they keep calling it this mansion. It's not that grand, to be honest. No, and even to be dishonest, it's not that grand either. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Like, it's not fancy looking at all. No, if you didn't know what went on in there, you would just walk by. You'd be like, that's $5 million for sale? (laughs) No, I'm out. Now, I'm getting my information about this haunting straight from the book. There's a lot of information out there about this particular house. So I just went with one source. Well, that's not true. I did go with a couple other sources and things that I had learned on our mini tours. So here I go. Now, the author of the book took her information from the New Orleans Bee, which was the city's paper at the time. Delphine and her physician husband and their two children were living in the lavish home with many servants. One night, as the madam was preparing for one of her lavish cocktail parties, a 12-year-old servant girl by the name of Leah was combing Delphine's hair when she hit a snag. Leah enraged the madam, who began to beat poor Leah with a bullwhip. Leah was able to get away and ran out onto the balcony and fell to her death. Dang, it's not the poor girl's fault that she had nasty hair. Right. With like bugs in it and stuff. Yeah. It's not like that showers back then. Delphine was fined $300 for the crime, which is a little over $10,000 today. So that's it. She just had to pay and she was off the hook. That seems a little light. A few months later, on April 10th, 1834, a fire broke out in the mansion during another one of the La Lorie's cocktail parties. A fire that was believed to have been started by the servants within the home to bring attention to the atrocities that had been taking place within those walls. The fire brigade entered through the courtyard to put out the fire in the kitchen that was located in another building away from the house. I do remember being told that there was a cook who had been chained to the oven. And she was the one who had started the fire. Do you remember that story? Did she burn to death? No, she just started a fire to get the attention of people. And she chained, oh, she, like the owners chained her. Mm -hmm. She was chained to the oven. That's not very nice at all. It's awful. All right, well... The servants were able to draw the firemen up to a locked room on the third floor. Before opening the door, the men could hear screams and cries for help. When the door was finally opened, seasoned firemen fell to their knees, vomiting from the smell of death permeating throughout the space. Found in that room were men and women chained to the walls, maimed and disfigured, Obviously victims of cruel and inhumane medical experiments. I'm not going to get too far into it because it's very, very gory. But many had died, but some were still alive. Yeah, and it was like, allegedly, they cut off limbs and sewed them back on in different places and things of that nature, correct? Yes. Stuff like that. Okay, yeah. It is awful. One woman was freed from her shackles but was so overcome with fear that she jumped out of a window, falling to her death, 
which is said to be that window that is still bricked up today. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that where they're pointing at the window that's bricked up. Maybe we have pictures on our phones. Maybe. You know, we used to go back in the day before you took pictures on your phone. (laughs) True. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We're so old. A mob of party guests were outraged at what had been happening within the mansion, but before they could get a hold of the lottery <laughs> of the Lollaries, they had slipped out of the home and disappeared at the banks of the Mississippi. Which is like it's like a thousand feet away. It's not very far. Yeah, so they could have just would ran just run too. down the road and the Mississippi River's right there. Mississippi. Yep. Some say they escaped back to France. And some say they set up residence on the north side of New Orleans in Mandeville. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the home became known as the haunted house. Neighbors swore they could hear screams coming from inside the mansion. Most would cross the street when walking by. After 40 years of vacancy, the area became home to Italian immigrants. There are stories from families who lived in the house of a large man covered in chains and blood walking the balcony obviously a ghost well that's always fun children were chased by a woman with a bullwhip screaming in french animals were found decapitated in the courtyard and then once again the house stood vacant because why would you continue living in that house why were there animals decapitated in the courtyard i don't know that's just part of the lore but that means somebody else is doing that not a ghost No, because ghosts can't hold stuff, falls out of their hands. (laughs) Several years later, the mansion became a furniture store. Shortly after opening, the owner came in one morning to find the store covered in blood, urine, and feces. The mess was cleaned up, and then it happened again, forcing the owner to move locations. One man tried to open a quote-unquote haunted saloon, but locals refused to patronize the place. It stood vacant once again. A family lived in the home in the 1970s and confirmed that there were always strange noises in the house and furniture would move by itself. And on dark and stormy nights, they could hear a young girl screaming in the courtyard. A portion of the mansion was renovated into apartments and the floorboards in the slave quarters were removed. The bodies of over 70 people were found, believed to have been buried alive. It is believed that the screams and pleading for help heard for days after the original fire were real. Thinking these cries were ghosts, no one attempted to free the people who were alive and buried under the floorboards. Okay, if you heard screaming, you wouldn't just go, ah, it's probably just ghosts. Not now. Not in this day and age. So back, back in the day, they did? People thought that? Well, this is just part of the legend. Oh. This is part of the lore of the mansion. This, this doesn't is mean 100% it was true. true. <laughs> to this day, the gray mansion with the bricked up window is considered to be the most haunted residence in the city. And the people that live there now love everyone <laughs> staring at their house every damn night on no, the tour. No, it's not a family that lives there anymore. Oh, okay. So the bricked up window. Yeah. That was bricked up because they were turning the third floor into apartments. And so they actually put a wall in the middle of that window. And so it needed to be bricked up. Gotcha. Not because they that thought that. That was what I, was, I no, had okay. heard. Yeah, that yeah. makes more sense. We did a tour with one guy who kind of 
told us the, a, true, the truth true story, yeah. of it. I think he of. was quitting that night. I think that's why. Oh, he was. It's like, I'm out of this. This is a stupid job. I'm not doing this anymore. Just so you guys that's know. That's right. The whole bricked up thing. Yeah, they just wanted to turn into an apartment. It has nothing to do with anyone flinging themselves out of the window. But uh, you're And welcome. that was the best tour we've ever been on because he told us all these kind of true facts about the places that we were seeing. I think we tipped him really big, too. I got a lot of information from that tour. Okay, you want to hear... I'm so glad you remembered that. You want to hear something funny? Yes. Well, you don't want to hear, but whoever's listening might want to hear. The tour guides get really pissed because they have a couple of stops on the tour where one could purchase drinks. (laughs) Basically, the entire tour. (laughs) Well... A lot of times people get drinks like at the Jean Lafitte's bar and then they just wander off and never rejoin <laughs> the tour. Disappear. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that, what do you care? They paid for the tour. And I realized, yeah, the tour place gets the money, but the tour guide then doesn't get tipped at the end of the tour. So right. people are slipping out before the end of the tour so they don't have to tip the tour guide. Uh-huh. So they get their drinks and they're like, ah, I, can, I get it. I get it. All right. Let's go wander (laughs) off. And so they just never rejoin the tour. So I don't think we've ever been on one of those tours where there's the same number of people at the end as at the beginning. And it's because it's because uh, tourists are bastards and they are cheap and they don't want to tip. Always tip your tour guides, no matter where you're at. Yep. Always tip them because that's part of their salary. Tip the tour guides and the sex workers. (laughs) Daniel. Wait, you said I can't call them hookers anymore. Oh, good job. Or prostitutes. I'm so proud of you. Or streetwalkers. Or dock workers. Or lot lizards. I'm not <gasps> supposed to say oh, any of those things gosh. anymore. So anyway. Uh, you're not the one that deals with the people who are mad. All tip, right, well. Tip your waiter. At one time, the home was owned by actor Nicolas Cage, who bought it in 2007 as a nice place to write a horror novel, but it never ended up happening. But actually, he lost the house in foreclosure. But as of today, it is owned by Michael Whalen, who purchased the mansion in 2010 for $2.1 million. He moved into the residence in 2013, and Michael still owns it today. Oh, okay. I was guessing about the millions. I didn't know how much it cost. So that's well, 2010. That's, that's reasonable. I so. think it's about $5 million now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems about right with the rate of inflation. God. Now, I shared this on Instagram one time, but we were on a tour, and the day before our tour, the tour guide was telling us that he was giving his regular tour outside of the mansion, and the family that had lived there before Nicolas Cage had bought the home, there was a family that lived there, and the kid was so sick and tired of people being outside of the home that he took a mannequin (laughs) And threw a mannequin over the balcony into the crowd of people. And everyone pooped their pants. Everyone freaked out. And you could tell that our tour guide was still a little freaked out by the incident because he was still like kind of shaking about it when he was telling us. Well, because the tour guides are talking really loud so that everyone in the back can hear. (laughs) So, of course, the people in the house can hear. So they probably are waiting for the story to really crescendo right (laughs) right and then right at the perfect moment 
out comes a body flung over the I think it's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard. Me too. I oh, wished we would have been gosh. a part of it so that I could have said we were there when this happened. Can you imagine a bunch of stupid tourists from California <laughs> who are half drunk and here comes a body? A fake body. Oh my gosh. They would absolutely lose it. Oh yeah. It would be priceless. That's a great story though. All right, fun fact. You ready for a fun fact? Aren't these all fun facts? Sure. I found an article written by the Sinister Criminal Intentions True Crime Tour based in the French Quarter about the myths of the mansion on a website called Unique Nola Tours. The house we see today was not the original house that the LaLaurie lived in, although they were the very first residences. It was originally a two-story house with a peaked roof, and there was no third floor. Are you serious? Yes, it did not have a third floor. (laughs) We've wasted tens of dollars going on these tours. But it's so fun. There was no graveyard found on the property, but across the street, there was a cemetery owned by the Ursuline nuns. Yes. Didn't you have a great aunt who was an Ursuline nun? Yeah. So it was actually my grandmother's cousin, and she oh. was an Ursuline nun. Mm-hmm. I love that you have so many connections to the city. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, but I don't really know anyone. They're distant family, but now. I have, yeah, on my yeah. mom's side. For a period of time, the house was an all-girls school, and at one point, it was a food rescue for the homeless of New Orleans. The home has not been seen by any members of the public inside since 1932. What? It's been closed to the public, unless you live in it. In 2019, Um. the creators of the popular Conjuring series plan to make a franchise out of the gruesome story and even had the okay from the owner to film inside the mansion. Filming was supposed to begin in early 2020 when we were actually there. Oh. Yeah. But it never happened. Why? Because of COVID. (laughs) Oh, gosh. right. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I, I feel you. Yeah. Well, I don't feel you right now, but I, I feel. I mean, I mean, we, I know what you mean. We were in New Orleans on a trip, just what a few weeks before COVID hit. Well, define hit. We were there when you semi had to be masked and such. For that was our next trip. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay. But apparently some things have been filmed in the home, but there is currently no word on the project. It probably didn't turn out the way they were expecting. They were probably hoping there'd be like ghosts and crazy stuff. weird stuff. I could not find when the third floor was actually built, but that third floor was not part of the home when the horrific events transpired. Huh. It just adds to... The legend and the lore of the LaLaurie mansion. So do you think none of the story is true? You don't think that she She was apparently abused and tortured the servants? That part is supposed to be true. And that she was a horrible woman. And this was her third husband. And her husband was a physician. But she was always really into that kind of stuff. Yeah. And... She's been portrayed in a couple shows, and the most famous is that of American Horror Story, the Coven episodes, 
where she was played by Kathy Bates. From the Bates Motel. No, (laughs) from Misery and Fried Green Tomatoes. But they had her as an aristocrat who performed these horrific things on her slaves and then bathed or put the blood of the younger women on her skin. And I mean, none of that is for sure true, but it does add to the legend. The lore. Of this horrific Delphine Lalaurie. Lalaurie. (laughs) Her. Yes. If you've ever thought of going to New Orleans, go to New Orleans, go to the French Quarter, go listen to some music, have some amazing food, meet some amazing people. You will never be the same. Do not eat in any chain restaurants that exist in your town. Don't you dare. The food's really good. But then again, I'm weird and I like food. So Why is that weird? No, I mean, I like... Lots of different kinds of food, but I love that kind of food. Try the alligator. Try try everything. If we didn't have to be somewhere tomorrow, I would probably be making gumbo right now. Talking about New Orleans gets you going, right? Yeah, like some seafood gumbo, but that's a that's a commitment. It really is. (laughs) It is a commitment. And not just financially. I mean, it takes some time. You gotta really, really plan it out. You know what else I like to do there is take a cooking class. I recommend that as well. Yes. I second that emotion, that motion. (laughs) All right. Well, this was really fun. I'm going to do another New Orleans-based or Louisiana-based spooky content eventually, but I really want to talk about the plantations because those are pretty interesting. Alligator meat isn't very good, but you should try it just so you can say you ate If it's deep fried, everything's good if it's deep fried. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this. I really enjoyed reading this book again and going through the lore and the legends of the French Quarter. And now I just really want to go. So we'll see. Maybe we'll do a meetup in the French Quarter sometime. Sure. With our 12 listeners. Yes, that'd be fun. That would be really fun. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And New Orleans is amazing. Sure. (laughs) Okay, bye. Okay, bye.